This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. remember the Tylenol scare of 1982. At that time, Tylenol had been on the market since about 1953. And all of a sudden, in the Chicago area, there were seven deaths due to tampering with the Tylenol capsules. So someone was actually opening the capsules and putting in potassium cyanide and people were dying. What a tremendous disaster. And just imagine if you were the business leader at the time of Tylenol and you're going through something like that. Well, at that time, the business leader had to make some decisions. What am I going to do? How are we going to handle this? This is obviously poor press for the company and so on and so forth. I just want to remind you about what steps actually were taken during the Tylenol scare. Number one, first of all, the company recalled 31 million bottles of Tylenol capsules. Whether they knew if they were tainted or not, 31 million bottles were recalled. And secondly, the company offered to replace those Tylenol capsules with a safer product, which was a tablet. And they gave those replacement products to the customers without incurring any additional charge. In the end, Johnson & Johnson spent about $100 million to actually make reparations here concerning the Tylenol scare. And as a result of this incident, the industry, as far as packaging of medicines and things, changed because they then came up with the tamper-proof packaging. And so that's what happened out of the Tylenol scare. Now, I want you to contrast that to a scenario that happened in 2009-2011, we'll refer to as the Toyota scandal. And at that time, there were a number of people who were dying in car crashes because the accelerator pedal would accelerate to a high degree, and even if you were trying to brake or trying to stop it, it wouldn't stop. It would just speed up and go faster. In this situation, the Toyota executives, rather than just coming out and saying what was going on, they did some preliminary kind of work, and they thought, oh, it's the floor mats in the car. It's user error. There are various things. And so they did some few recalls early on, to try to deal with a sticking pedal, try to deal with the mats in the car and so on. And they also had some repairs done. However, those repairs weren't always done properly. So the problems continued and people continued to have these crashes, often resulting in fatalities. And those fatalities ended up being up in the 30s. In the end, ultimately, They weren't being totally transparent about the real problem. 
the real problem had something to do with the wire throttle system in these cars, and the company knew something about that already. And because there really was a cover-up involved, the U.S. Justice Department actually assessed criminal penalties of over a billion dollars to Toyota for this particular crisis that happened. So we can see that if we compare both of these situations, both organizations, we see that Johnson & Johnson with the Tylenol scare took a very different approach than Toyota did with the Toyota scandal. And I just want to highlight a couple of those points. So number one, when you're in a situation like this, what you want to do is more similar to how Johnson & Johnson handled it. So number one, you want to show concern and compassion both in word and deed, for the people who have been affected or who have been harmed by the problem. Number two, you want to create and then implement a plan to address and resolve the problem. Number three, you want to take definitive action to really deal with it. It was definitive action for Johnson & Johnson to recall all of those bottles of Tylenol and to replace them with a safer product. And then number four, you want to keep shareholders, you want to keep the public and people informed through regular communication about what's going on and what steps you are taking to address the issue. And then number five, you want to learn and make improvements so you can move forward in a different way. And that's how we ended up with the tamper-proof packaging for products in the future. So as we're talking about this, I want us to also look at another example. And this is an example that had sort of a mixed result. This was in 2010, and this was the Chilean mining accident where we had about 33 men who were trapped 700 meters or 2,300 feet below ground in a mine when the mine collapsed. And those men were trapped there for about 69 days. And what I want us to pay attention to is the contrast between what their government leaders did and what the company leaders did, the mine company leaders. The president at the time of the country of Chile, he actually dismissed a number of top officials for the National Geological and Mining Society because they were the regulatory agency that had allowed these faults to continue in these mining companies and to allow them to continue unaddressed. Also, he closed 18 mines because they also were considered dangerous and he put 300 other mines on the watch list because they also needed to make some reparations and do some things that were different. And what the president said is that cost is no object. We are going to rescue these people. So they partnered with many other agencies, including international resources outside and beyond Chile, and about one-third of the private donations that came in, they were from private sources, a third of the donations uh, that came in to help with this rescue effort. All total, it took about $20 million that was spent to actually engage in this rescue. 
And while they were doing this, think about it, 69 days is a long time. Not only was there communication with the public and those of us who are watching it from the outside, there was also communication with the miners. And so there was one point when the miners attached a note to one of the drill bits that came down, and it said something like, Estamos bien en el refugio los treinta y tres, which roughly translated in English is that all of us, meaning all 33 of us, are doing fine in the refuge. There was like a little room of refuge where they were kind of waiting to be rescued. So that's a bit about how the country handled it and the president of the country. Now, if we look at the mining company, it was the San Esteban Mining Company. They were known for operating unsafe mines. And already in the preceding 12 years, they had had about eight deaths. And the workers knew about some of the difficulties that were going on, and they reported the problems However, the company continued to operate without listening to the workers and without making changes. So, for example, there were ventilation shafts in the mine, and they were required to have ladders at those ventilation shafts, which if the ladders had been present, then the miners might have been able to get out by climbing up those ladders. However, since the ladders were missing, there was no alternative escape. In addition, the mine maps were also out of date, and they hadn't kept up with that. So we find that even with these reports of problems and difficulties and things going on, the mining company chose not to invest in improvements. And instead, they just paid their workers uh, higher salaries than what other mining companies paid so that the workers would take that risk and take that chance and risk their lives because of better pay and the ability to take better care of their families. And that's assuming, of course, that they would live. So in that story, we have both some aspects of people doing the right thing and also some aspects of people doing the wrong thing. So I want us to think about what are just general principles to keep in mind, because in companies and organizations, as you're developing products and services, no one is perfect. So a disaster really could happen. And so number one, as far as general principles, is to remember that mistakes will happen. True leadership responds differently when the mistakes occur. So it's not that good companies don't have mistakes and bad companies have mistakes. Both good companies and bad companies have mistakes. The good companies respond in a different way. So number two, you want to think about being proactive rather than reactive. You get on top of it in advance. And in fact, you focus on prevention. There was a lot that could have been done in the mining accident that would have been preventive and also probably true with Toyota in their situation as well. So be proactive more than reactive. Number three, be transparent and honest in your communication with the public about the scenarios. Engage in a full disclosure rather than a cover-up. 
a cover-up usually does not end well. And then number four, prevent further injury, even if it's costly. Even if it costs you millions of dollars, as it did Tylenol, prevent further injury. And number five, create better future systems from what you've learned from this process. So the bottom line of what I want us to think about is that at the end of the day, human lives are infinitely more valuable than any amount of money that we might spend to correct a problem. And a company that demonstrates this level of understanding about the value, for example, of human life or about the value of protecting the environment or whatever it may be, that company will be admired and appreciated even in the midst of a crisis. So you want to have an internal culture that seeks to uncover and fix mistakes and errors. And that kind of an internal culture is much more aligned with what we've been calling the learning organization that learns, that mines the information from mistakes and moves forward in a productive and a positive manner. And the bottom line to also remember is, and this is a biblical concept, whatever is done in the dark will come to light. So instead of waiting for the government to assess you fine, call a penalty on yourself like good golfers do and move forward in a productive way. Here's what we know. Disaster strikes the best of the best. So the only question left for you is this. Are you ready and are you prepared? Do you have a proactive action plan in place just in case the unthinkable disaster occurs on your watch and at your location? And if it does, you want to have that action plan in place so that you can exercise bold, effective, and compassionate leadership. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.